Good morning, good evening, good night from wherever you are in the world and welcome back to the Right on Track podcast. Mm -hmm. I am Parry. I am Denim. And I am Connor. Uh, this is episode five? Correct. We're chuffing along, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're definitely on the right track. The train puns. Um, but yeah, today we're going to be reviewing the three episodes. Uh, Parry, what are they? So the three episodes are Tenders and Turntables, Trouble in the Shed and Percy Runs Away. They are from the book Troublesome Engines. And as we mentioned in the last podcast, this is where Thomas and Friends get strangely political. It really does, because um, at that actual time when the book was published, which was in 1950, Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, during the time it was published, British labour on railways was um, at a bit of unrest. Um, so that's why this story sort of took place. So instead of people being overworked, it was engines. Very much so. I think um, as a young'un, and still now, I think this was always the most interesting trilogy for me, personally, in season one. I think uh, not only it was the series of uh, episodes that intrigued me the most, uh, but it also had a lot going on. There weren't yes. uh, necessarily big crashes or uh, many bells and whistles kind of going on, but there was a lot of dialogue. There was a lot of background um, stuff going on, and there was a lot of rivalry, which I think is something that's played on several times throughout uh, the shows in the book's history, um, but done to a really interesting degree in these three episodes particularly. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, uh, of course, as the saying now goes, roll the tape with tenders and turntables. Disgraceful, Gordon hissed as he ran backwards to the turntable. The turntable was in a windy place close to the sea, and if he was not on it just right, he put it out of balance and made it difficult to turn. Today, Gordon was in a bad temper, and the wind was blowing fiercely. His driver tried to make him stop in the right place, but Gordon wasn't trying. The fireman tried to turn the handle, but Gordon's weight and the strong wind prevented him. It's no good, they said at last. Your tender upsets the balance. If you were a nice tank engine, you'd be all right. Now you'll have to pull the next train backwards. Look, call some boys. There's a new tank engine. Oh, it's only Gordon back to front. I love it how it's always the schoolboys who seem to taunt the engines. <laughs> I know, it's such a... I guess a playful thing, and I guess um, from an audience perspective, we can kind of relate to those three or four or five, how many schoolboys there are, and they're kind of the the comic value uh, commentary that are going on with the stories, which is really quite fun. Well, one thing I really like is how that really carries in throughout all the stories. It's quite timeless in um, Bar, mm -hmm. uh, the season five, five. five, yeah, season five episode. Goat goes and attacks a station. But it's actually the schoolboys that were the vandals and the goat was being the hero. Yes. So yeah. it's really interesting on how these schoolboys are a bit of a reoccurring characters, but they're just known as the schoolboys. They're very mm. unlaying. Like, 
they're definitely uh, a part of the story, but they're uh, characters that very much fall underneath the radar. Yeah, I, I feel like that with the schoolboys, you really can't replace them with anyone, though. No. I, I feel like you can't just replace it with, you know, some teasing, you know, vandals that come in and break things. Those spiteful adults or anything like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It, it just needs to be just the children there just making fun and being joyous as they're a little late for school. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, that's truly the essence of it. And I think that carries out in series uh, one later on as well. So it'll be interesting when we get to that. But I think from the get-go, this episode has a lot going for it. As I said, we've got the setup. uh at the beginning of the story, uh, the narrator tells us how Thomas is no longer the pilot at Napford Station and it's up to uh, the big engines to fetch their own trains, be them goods or passengers, um, and they're kind of fed up with what's going on and they kind of want to change that. What's actually really interesting is one of the first shots in this episode is the three tender engines, Gordon, James and Henry, running around Vickerstown Goods Yard getting the coaches, which brings up an interesting point on how, you know, Thomas is the station pilot for Knapford, so there never was a pilot at Vickerstown, or...? It does kind of, like, uh, in my uh, understanding, at this point, as far as we know, we haven't been introduced to a station pilot at Vickerstown, nor do we know if there is one. Mm. Um... And so, so Rose, Rosie's sort of taken that t- title yeah. now in the series. but In the CGI era, yeah. In season one, all the way up to series 50, yeah. there, there's no comment <laughs> at all as to who was there. And Vickerstown didn't even exist until the Great Race. Yeah, and I think what I like about this, it kind of uh, quietly sets up that perhaps the engines are already doing this for themselves. Um themselves and Vickerstown um, and they've had Thomas and mm. Edward do it, do it for them at Knapford and this probably suggests that they're now doing it at each end of the line, double the amount of workload they're going, yeah we're not having a bar this anymore. Mm. And so in order to try and get their voice heard, they go on strike in which they then decide to make fun of Edward, who is eventually... Uh... No, I'm talking about the wrong episode, aren't I? No, no, you're getting an episode ahead of yeah, yourself. Yeah, I'm getting there, an Connor. episode ahead oh, of boy. myself. Oh, so, boy. <laughs> so, yes, brief summary here. Tenders and turntables, the big engines are sad and quite frustrated, really, yes. because Thomas hasn't been around to shunt their coaches for them. They complain they've got too much work. And... Um, then there's the incidents with the turntables. First of all, there's Gordon being mistaken for a tank engine. Because he gets stuck um, one way on the turntable, mm-hmm. can't get turned around. Yes, and then James spins around like a top in what is probably the most hilarious moment of the first season. I know, yeah. and it's so, like, you don't expect it happening, mm. but I love the um, 
that we see two ends of it. We see Gordon, who's a much bigger engine than James, tries to go on the turntable, doesn't budge. Mm. But when James goes on, he just loses all control. And mm. it is uh, definitely a visually hilarious feature. Yeah, and we also get... It's the turntable theme, I think, that just sped up dun, really dun, fast dun, to match dun, the music. Dun, dun, yeah. dun, 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 dun. What's mm. actually really interesting is that James's mishap on the turntable, and I know it's this episode now, um, <laughs> is that it's based on another real event, as, of course, many of the true railway stories were, which occurred... Um, in uh, Garsdale Head in Cumbria, England in the 1900s where an engine went onto a turntable and the wind was so strong that you just started spinning the engine round and they really couldn't get it off for a while. (laughs) They just had to let it go around. I think I have read about that um, occurrence. It's quite funny Um, and I'm glad that uh, Wilbur Audrey took the graces of putting it into this story as well. Indeed. One of the other interesting things about this episode is it goes into the physical differences between the engines, which doesn't really happen often in the Mm. series. I mean, it explains that Gordon and co. have tenders and that Thomas has a bunker and therefore he can go backwards as well as forwards, but it still doesn't really explain to us what a tank engine is. I mean, we know that because we're into trains, but for most kids, wouldn't they be interested to know why Thomas is a tank engine and not a train engine. all trains look like, apparently, when (laughs) a kid draws a train. (laughs) I I feel like what really carries that across, though, is the visuals. Because up until this point in the series, Thomas has been the only one without a tender. Hmm. And I I guess that's one thing that really distinguishes him from the rest and maybe the reason why he became so popular originally, Mm -hmm. because he looked so different from the other four characters. Correct. I think um, you do make an interesting point here that, um, like, for us, again, like, characters like Gordon and Henry are so profound and we love them and adore them, but... Thomas is the one who stands out from the crowd, not just because he's the title character, but because he's such a swing uh, on the radar uh, in mm. terms of his uh, visual aesthetic. Mm. Um, now, of course, I got mixed up with this before. Mm. This episode is sort of a part of a trilogy. This episode reflows into the next two. Really, it is. Well. It does. Yeah. It, it, it sets up a brilliant point, but. Um, th- what's really interesting about this is that in Troublesome Engines, mm-hmm. um, at the end of this episode, they go that, you know, Gordon's mistaken for a tank engine, James gets spun on the turntable. In the Railway series, they go, and Henry is, you know, uh, attacked by an elephant, basically. Whooshed by an elephant. Whooshed! Yeah. <laughs> because uh, in the same book, Troublesome Engines, there was the story... Henry and the Elephant. Mm-hmm. However, that wasn't produced until season four, mm. which means that they had to change it to... And what's worst of all is the fat controller forces us to go in those dirty sidings. Ugh, how yeah. dare they? Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. Henry doesn't get a lot of screen time here. We see him at the beginning and at the end, and it's probably suggested that maybe he has his own mishaps or perhaps he's only fed up just due to the case that he has to fetch his own rolling stock. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were discussing before we went on air... Um, where does the TV version of Henry and the Elephant fit into the TV 
chronology and we're looking uh, up all the meticulous details on the wikia and then we realise Duck, the Great Western Engine does make a cameo appearance. Yeah. Now, the thing is, because it's only a cameo appearance, I feel that in railway series logic, he could easily be replaced with any other engine. Mm. Um, uh, just a visiting pannier tank engine. They had plenty. Yeah. So... Maybe it could fit, but I feel that if we're going in actual... Yes, that character there is Duck, then it needs to be all the way in Season 4. Yeah. Mm. In my head canon, it coexists in Season 4, and that's how I've kind of always seen it. But ever since I've uh, been watching uh, this guy on a streaming service uh, review Series 4, and he's pulled apart episodes like Henry and the Elephant and Thomas and the Queen and go... Where on earth does this fit in the season mm. chronology? It definitely kind of makes you scratch your head and go, "What were like? What was the agenda behind here? Was it purely the fact that it was the 50th anniversary of Thomas, and they wanted to do something special for the 1995 series and have episodes that they couldn't make yet, but they got the opportunity to do it yeah. then? Or are they just episodes that kind of just add on to that?" weird end of series four. Yeah, well, well, what I feel with this is that they didn't have the production to have an elephant or to have it squirt water. Yeah. Mm. Um, they, they use um, Henry's tunnel in the episode, um, which doesn't make an appearance since James and the Coaches, which mm. we reviewed last time. Yes. Um so they definitely had the set. I feel it was literally just the elephant and maybe getting all the circus rolling stock. Yes, that's that one of my favorite things about the episode. Just seeing James pull away the circus train. It's so mm. colourful. Um, but yeah, as we say, this episode is very political. It is. I think there's not a lot of positivity going on. Like a lot of the episodes that we looked at so far has had some redeeming factor for the characters, but there's no real happy ending here. And, and in fact, it ends with the engines, you know, going, we'll do it tomorrow. Mm. They, they don't They don't say what it is, and it takes the narrator to go... The engines have decided to go on strike. Yeah. And then it goes... Exactly. A little jazzy theme. And what I think is really interesting is that for a child during the 1980s watching this, how many of them would have known the term strike? Oh, well, mm. actually, the 80s, it was the era of Thatcherism, so I'm sure ah, most of them would have been very with much it. so. Yes. I think that's a very interesting point. Like, we're talking about... Oh, Parry, you were talking about um, the political uh, climate of the time during the 1950s as mm. this was being published. Yeah, with, with all the labour costs on the British railways. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Um, but there's also the political climate of the 1980s as well, which is something I completely do not take into account. Well, it's also working its way into today's political climate because here in Australia there's this huge debate about the role of unions and whether they're still relevant and whether striking even <coughs> achieves anything. Mm. So, yeah, it's just... Resonant through the ages. <laughs> what what I feel is probably most interesting about these episodes that really makes all of these um, issues come to light is that they are set during the 30s, so they need to follow the political climate there, but they were written and published during the 50s, 
so they need to match that political climate there. And now they're influencing a show that's now matching a political climate in the 80s. Mm. It's timeless. It, it's, exactly. Yeah, it will always, so. forever, how long time goes, there will always be that S- going on. Some trains with faces. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly it. I think... I feel like I've said as much as I can about this episode. Rather than uh, the story itself, I think mm. um, one thing I did think we briefly mentioned before, we see Vickerstown for the first time, or yeah. Vickerstown sheds in the shunting yards. It is a really nice kind of uh, difference from what we've seen up until now. Yeah, with five births instead of the six, and yeah. a little more muddy water. Mm. Mm. Which then becomes a backdrop for another significant episode, but we'll get to that eventually. That's another story. <laughs> um, but I think, in terms of rating for this episode, I think it probably averages at about a seven for me. Like, stuff happens, the plot thickens, mm. and we see a little bit of action, but I think knowing what comes next, I think that's going to take it up a little more for me. But it definitely uh, does a good job of setting up a story. But at the same time, I would think if I was showing this to my uh, kid or if I was watching it as a kid, having no context of Thomas as well, I think I'd be very confused as well. Mm. That's a fair point, actually, Denim. I'm leaning towards your score as well, a seven, so it's very dialogue-heavy. There's a lot of exposition, but it's a really great story, and there's some really funny moments in there. So, yeah, it's definitely a good episode. Yeah. Um, now, I'm going with the inverse for you, Tom Denim and Tom Parry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you can see my confusion. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, because it's got, you know, nice action and so on, and I like it on how it is a seven. But I feel that it it isn't satisfying enough for me mm. because it ends on sort of a flat note mm. because, you know, it's flat, then you've got some exposition and, oh, okay, it's like, you know, as a modern-day person that's interested in, you know, politics and railways, it's sort of interesting to watch. However... I feel that with the upcoming episodes, it doesn't really meet the standards it's about to reach. So I'm yeah. going to rate it more of a six for me. That's fair. That's mm. fair. And I guess as we discuss that now, the next episode that we come to is Trouble in the Shed. They all hiss me, sir, answered Edward. They say tender engines don't shunt, and last night they said I have black wheels. I haven't, have I, sir? No, Edward, you have nice blue ones, and I'm proud of you. Tender engines do shunt, but all the same, we do need another tank engine here. He went to a workshop, and they showed him all sorts of engines. At last, he saw a smart little green engine with four wheels. That's the one, he thought. If I choose you, will you work hard? Oh, sir, yes, sir. That's a good engine. I'll call you Percy. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir, said Percy. And the fat controller brought him back to the yard. 
Oh, that was the episode I was talking about before by accident. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is Trouble in the Shed. It begins with the three big engines on strike and we get introduced to Percy the Small Engine, number hey! six. It's really interesting because Percy, when you think about Thomas, you go, oh yeah, Thomas, Percy, James. They're yes. the first characters that come to mind. But Percy is introduced into the story at a really interesting time. Mm. There isn't so much focus on him as a character but there's a lot of focus on the political climate of the Northwestern Railway. He is actually introduced in the 16th episode, more than halfway through season one. Yes. Um, so he's a bit of a latecomer to the series. But then again, so is Toby and Duck and the rest that are quite yes. well known. Yeah. Um, but trouble in the shed. So the engines have gone on strike. Mm-hmm. And because of that, the fat controller gets you know, Edward in to help out um, to shunt the coaches for them. And then the next day they're all hissing and making fun of Edward. Mm -hmm. Now, um, one really interesting thing here is that they say that Edward has got black wheels. And what is quite interesting is that at this time, um, the term black legs was a word used to describe someone um, who continued to work during a strike. So it's weird because not many people would pick up on the term black legs and put it for engines with black wheels, especially because... Yeah, certainly not preschoolers. Yeah, and, and like, James has got black wheels. Yes, that's what I always thought watching the episode. James has black wheels. Why would they be prejudiced against Edward for having black wheels? Uh, That makes James a hypocrite. (laughs) Well, like, I mean, he's quite arrogant. Uh, Maybe they just haven't told him. He goes, (laughs) oh, yes, I'm nice and red. It's like... Yeah, James, you're great. Yeah, red all over, mate. Yeah, good on you. (laughs) The people who are writing season 23, I want you to listen now. I want you to uh, look at this dialogue and write an episode about James from this point of view. (laughs) Yes, yes, about, like, his a point of view episode. Mm. We just see how, you know, great he thinks he is. And then all the under the engines are just all this, like, scratching their heads. Um. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah. But, um... We introduced to Percy. Yes. Who is... He, he's got one of the best little chirpy themes. Mm, he does. Uh, as you just heard, what's really interesting is his introduction. Mm-hmm. So, of course, we've got the workshop. And before the show started, Denham and I were discussing where on earth this workshop actually is because, mm. of course... Is it a Crovens Gate, which we haven't been introduced to? Is it on the mainland? Um, Parry, like, what do you think is going on there with the workshop? And who is there? Well, it, here's the thing, because very clearly you can see it's just models from the series. Yes. yes under tarpaulin. But when you're a young kid, you just think to yourself, oh, who are these fascinating new engines that we're not seeing? And, of course, the only person who gets revealed is Percy. Mm. Um, but, no, my thought was just it was some random shed on the island where they were just storing engines. <laughs> that, that's all I thought. I didn't think beyond the island or soda. I just right. thought, okay, this is just a workshop. The fat controller has some authority over it and he's just going, right, I'll pick you. Well, there we are. What's actually more so interesting is that uh, the Reverend, all of his actual models of the engines, such as Donald and Douglas, so on, do not have a face. And that's mm. because 
that only have a face when they're on Sodor because of how magical it is where anything mm. can happen. Yeah. So that brings in the question, if this island, you know, where they were, was on the mainland, well, then they wouldn't have faces. Mm. But in the Agile Rail Steri- Railway Series illustration, we see that they do have faces. Now, I have a theory. This is okay. going to blow your mind or not. You could take this or leave this, but I think I have this... Bizarre theory that uh, once we get to the Magic Railroad, I'll probably dissect it more, but mm. more and more as we got into the CGI series, particularly we've seen the face reveals of characters like Butch yes. and Henrietta and yeah. Big Mickey, and you go, where are they coming from? So my uh, way of uh, retconning Magic Railroad into the TV series <laughs> lore... <laughs> Is You're that, playing with fire. <laughs> I, I am, I am. Watch out. So the Magic Railroad itself uh, exists in a metaphysical realm beyond uh, the understanding of uh, dimensions and time, beyond the four dimensions. And This is getting into Doctor Who territory here. <laughs> it is a little bit. You are a Doctor Who fan as well. It's probably seeping into this. So Lady is the guardian of this who goes around... Uh, wherever Thomas goes or wherever the characters in the show go and decides who is conscious and who is not. Who lives, who dies, who tells your story. Yeah. Ooh, interesting. Mm. But it also gets to a point in season three where we see cameos from two very famous real-life engines Mm. and we see neither of their faces. Correct. And yet they're seen talking to the other engines, or at least one of them is. Yeah, Yeah. even um, with... City of Truro, mm-hmm. we even see his blank smoke box. Correct. Yes. And on the merchandising as well, he has the the wind-up on the smoke box that you normally have. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it, I feel it's a very, like, coach dynamic with Truro on how, especially with these early Season 1 coaches, they're talking, and oh, don't be too rough with us and so on. Only Annie and Clarabelle had a face at this time. Yeah. yeah. So I, I feel it's a very Season 1 dynamic there with those engines, but... Getting off topic once again. Yeah. It, it, it's definitely a tangent that's worth discussing, but matters at hand. Yes. So Percy's introduced. Uh, he's been in the workshop. And what happens is that the fat controller gets Percy to run Thomas's branch line mm-hmm. uh, and Thomas and Edward to run the main line as Henry, James and Gordon are running the shed. Yes. Sulky uh, in the shed. Yes. Mm. What's really interesting is there's a line that is said that there were fewer trains, but the passengers understood that these engines were being paid a lesson. That would never happen today. (laughs) No, definitely wouldn't. That is the most unbelievable thing I ever thought about this show. (laughs) Despite the fact that I used to press my face up against the TV screen and see where they were coming and going looking down the sides (laughs) of the screen or wondering why their faces weren't moving, it was because that people were fine with trains being cancelled. <laughs> I wouldn't be. <laughs> I, I, like, I'm I'm not with it today. I mm. need to catch trains to come into this recording studio and they are annoying. <laughs> they can be. I, I, th- I think we've all... We can all empathetically say that we have shared experiences with train lines and... and Public transport been, and... Uh, ...tasteful... Mm. Uh, but, like, even if the trains were talking, 
I, you know, I I pay my tax dollars for this, you know, railway Mm. to run. Mm. I expect it to run, you know, really reliable and right on time. Mm. You can't just knock out 50% of the trains Mm. just because some people didn't feel like getting out of bed in the morning. True. Um, It's also worth noting, coming back to the political aspect, at the very end of the episode, it all says that the three engines were rather silly, or felt rather silly. And it just says to you that their actions were futile. And, And it says a lot about industrial actions in general and quite possibly Reverend Audrey's opinion about the union movement and the labour movement and what have you. It is an interesting point to make, and mm. I think uh, the illustration of having the three of them as those, uh, or as that depiction, mm. I guess, um, in the book and the TV iteration, is really interesting. Just inserting that into children's literature, full stop, I think is quite brave, and it's mm. quite, uh, it's almost on par subliminal messaging it of, is, of, yeah. of the thoughts of uh, what the author thinks about what's going on at the current time and mm. I'm uh, very interested that that it's through adaptation that they remained faithful to that as well. Mm. And mm. it's also worth noting that, you know, strikes do achieve action. They do achieve goals. I mean, if you were in Victoria between the years 2010 and 2014 and in the education system, you would know that, you know, strike action does lead somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. But um, the other uh, point of thinking or way of thinking is that... Because Gordon James Henry are three bigger engines and the line's being run by the smaller engines, it's a way of telling older people or authority figures to, you know, don't be so uh, up yourself, basically. We, we can easily replace you. Yeah, exactly. But like, I mean, we, we can just get these younger, newer models in this ancient mm. furnace railway thing to <laughs> yes. run it without you. We're just here because you need a job. Mm. So, you know, calm down. It yes. very much returns to, um, well, it is still season one, but through season one, uh, the fat controller is this very kind of authoritarian soul. Yes. And uh, we see that in the sad story of Henry. Uh, we see that in uh, James and the Coaches where he says, I'll paint you blue if you don't uh, pull your socks up. Mm. Um, and we see it again here where he says, all right, you're not going to do your work. I'm just going to replace you with other engines until you come back out. And yes. It's interesting how um, much of a staple that makes on the rest of the show and um, I guess the continuity of a character arc in that sense as well where uh, they develop and grow. Mm. So as a ranking for this episode... Mm-hmm. I feel it's got great political themes. The other one I felt was sort of played down because of this one. Mm. And I feel both, like, I got confused as to which one actually was because I do see mm. them as one episode. And I mm. feel that mm. one without the other, it isn't really a full thing. Mm, but yeah. I do really like all its messages it's got across. So I'm going to put it around about a 6.75. I've gone to two decimal places there. But but I feel I don't want to be harsh and go 6.5, but I don't want to be too kind and say, you know, 7. So 6.75 then. Okay. Well, Connor, I am going to be generous. I'm going to give it a 7.5. Oh. I'm also going to be generous. I think there's a lot more going on for this episode. I think 
Uh, it's definitely a step up from what we had last time. It definitely builds on the story. Mm. We have Percy. We have all these mysterious elusive engines that we never find the identity True. of. True. We have the um, rivalry between Edward and the other big engines. This kind of in-house prejudice that's going on. Mm. I think there's a lot here for me to really sink my teeth into, so I'm going to give it an 8. Okay. Oh, oh, okay. I'm going. I'm going to bump mine up to seven point five as well. <laughs> yeah. That. That. That's, that's right. Of... Follow the crowd. <laughs> no. 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 Like. Like. I mean. That. That was actually. I. I completely forgot about Edward's rivalry there with the other engines, which is such a core part to the entire series. Mm. Because mm. the very and it first. Lives on. Yeah. The, yeah. the yes. very first book. The very first story was all about the rivalry with Edward, and then even today we've got episodes such as old, reliable Edward. And it still plays in that Edward's old, but he can still be useful. But, so, And that frustrates me somewhat, because in that first book, or rather the first mm. lot of episodes, it was said that Henry Gordon and Edward are all now good friends. And yet we constantly see the other engines berating him for yeah, his age and, you know, being That's what we see whack. on screen. Off screen, they have a great time. <laughs> they, they know they're being filmed. They've got a script in front of them. It's like the cast of Harry Potter. You know, Malfoy and Harry may hate each other in the movie, but in real life, they're great mates, you know. They play Seppie Tuesday. (laughs) We're going to take a break and um, jump straight to our feature track. Uh, This week we're listening to the Tugster Intensifies cover of Don't Stop Me Now by Queen. Definitely a bop and a half. You're listening to the Ride on Track podcast. we 
welcome back. That was Don't Stop Me Now, uh, covered by the Tugster Intensifies. Uh, you can check that out on SoundCloud and YouTube. Um, he does a wonderful job um, at all kinds of uh, various uh, Thomas music ditties, as well as his own compositions. Uh, but now we uh, return to uh, our episode discussion. So far, we've talked about Tender and Turntables and Trouble in the Shed. But now uh, we have the conclusion to this trilogy, Percy runs away. After a great deal of shunting, Percy was waiting for the signalman to set the point so that he could get back to the yard. He was eager to work, but was being rather careless and not paying attention. Edward had warned Percy, be careful on the main line, whistle to the signalman you are there. But Percy didn't remember to whistle, so the busy signalman forgot him. Percy waited and waited. The points were still against him, so he couldn't move. Then he looked along the main line. Peep, peep! He whistled in horror, for rushing straight towards him was Gordon with the express. Oh, groaned Gordon. Get out of my way! Percy opened his eyes. Gordon had stopped with Percy's buffers a few inches from his own. But Percy had begun to move. I won't stay here. I'll run away, he puffed. What I particularly love about that scene there is when Gordon's charging towards Percy, Percy's just got this shocked look on his face and his eyes just dart from side to side. It's like, I can't do anything. It's inevitable this crash is going to happen. I've just got to sit here. And again, it brings in the question as to where does the humans end and the train start? Mm. You know, did the drivers sort of, you know, release the... No, close the regulator and then just... You know, go, okay, reverse, reverse, and then go, well, we're most likely going to die, let's get out. Well, well, that's, well, you have to assume that's what they did. To yeah. stop an accident, they would have tried to start the train, and then when they realised they couldn't, they're like, all right, let's leg it, and then, and, of course, their train ran away. So. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, this episode I love. It, it's got such a childish charm. So mm. as soon as Gordon, Henry, and James have been told, okay, you've learnt your lesson, you can go back to work now, yeah, that, that's just so ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, that's how the conflict ends. It's like, I see you all look sorry. Why don't you come back to work now? It's like, okay, then. Mm. <laughs> yeah. and, and, conflict over. <laughs> and then what they do is they go, okay, now, Edward, Thomas and Percy, you can just have fun on the branch line it's for true a while. for a couple of days. Mm. Yeah. Now, what I find interesting is because Thomas needs to run his own branch line. So... Is his branch line not just running, or is it he just goes, I want to I want to take a train. So he just pulls up the station if anyone's there. He's like, yeah, <laughs> hop on, do whatever. And people are just like in anxious fear that a train may be there. So they're just camping at the station <laughs> overnight. They're not going to get to work this week. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then they go, you know, oh, yes, you can, you know, play on the branch line. But as it was just said in that little clip we played there, that Percy was on the main line. Now, yeah. um, well, 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 he was at Wellsworth Station, which is at Edwards Station. Yes, and that's where the branch line runs to Brendan Bay. True. I mean, okay, this is thinking about the, you know in the books. Yeah, but in, in the TV series, it's not really clear. But you know, it's a plausible explanation. Yes, I think. true. It's still known as Edwards Station, yeah. but. That area hasn't been introduced yet. No, that's fair. Yeah. I, 
don't know. I I feel like that Percy deserved it. Oh, <laughs> oh <laughs> No, 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 no. In all honesty, I love him. He's amazing. But how does a signalman forget? Because it goes, you know, oh, the busy, the busy signalman forgot to... You know, yeah. How does he not look out of his window and go, "Oh, there's a train there." It was on his TV. Is he he just? (laughs) And this is a recurring theme with Thomas and Friends, a TV series. It's always the signalman who's at fault because he doesn't notice the trains, or he's asleep, or he's not informed about them. I know. I I feel like that there's real issues with you know communication (laughs) there. A railway in um, India or Africa. For multiple years, their signalman used to be known as Jumper because he'd jump in between trains. Mm. He then had two peg legs, mm. and because of that, he hired a baboon <laughs> who would only work if he drank alcohol <laughs> to actually be the signalman. This is all true. You can look up the signalman baboon who would only operate if he was drunk, <laughs> and then when it was actually found out that a baboon was running this station... They saw how good he was and then actually allowed him to be a proper signalman. <laughs> exactly. Okay, we should point out to all our listeners at this point, one, don't consume alcohol, two, do not feed it to baboons. That's <laughs> yeah. uh, two things you shouldn't do. And three, don't jump in between trains. But Oh, yeah, that too. The, the thing is, this job is literally so simple that a drunk baboon can do it. <laughs> Why can't these signalmen do it? I feel like the signalmen on Sodor are very ill-informed. Or <laughs> their training, they just kind of skipped it. They're like, have you done your theory? Uh, yep. Are you sure? Yep. All right, you're on the job. Do you know how to pull lever? I guess. Great. <laughs> but the thing is, they go, it was, you know, the busiest signalman forgot about him. What? There's what was a... he busy with? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, there are six trains on Sodor now. Two of them are playing on the branch line. So, you know, yeah, what's yeah. going on? The, the on? And that signal box only operates, you know, that area. The world's yard limits. Yeah. Yes. So that means that he needs to worry about Gordon coming along the line and Percy. So you would think if he was worrying about Gordon, <laughs> then he would, you know, be worrying about Percy. Yeah. Quite right. So, oh, honestly. We're getting a bit pedantic here, but anyway, we do, yes. we do enjoy yes. this episode. It is a really good episode. Um, yeah. And Percy runs away. He goes mm. all the way up Gordon's Hill. Mm. Without stopping. Yeah. Yes, yes. And this is the impressive. second time we see a light train. Yes. Mm. We had uh, Thomas's train, uh, where we see Thomas pretending to pull coaches along, or thinking he's pulling coaches along, uh, but we see a light train with Percy running away, going backwards, which is quite interesting visually. And then he eventually stops when he crashes into a mound of dirt. Yes. And of course, Gordon comes along and winches him out, which is actually the first time we actually see Gordon's winch. It is. um, If you're excluding the pilot episode. Um and the only other time we see it is down the mine, which we'll get to later. Mm. And in series four as well, in um, is it Thomas and the Queen? Uh, Pain uh, pots and queens. Yes. Pain pots and queens. Yes. Yeah. Yes, we do spot it there because, of course, it is a sequel to Down the Mine, which but, takes place in series. It's confusing. It's a can of worms for another day. I, I, have, I have to say though, it's very noble of Gordon to just abandon his express train and then go and rescue Percy. Don't you think? I. What I feel it I'm not is, being sarcastic here. I mean, I genuinely think yeah. that's noble of him. I feel like he didn't abandon it, though. Mm. 
Because as we saw in um, Proud Day for James, mm-hmm. you know, James and the Express, mm. James stops the train at Wellsworth Station. Oh, it does too. It terminates yeah. there. Yeah. So I feel that at the time, Wellsworth Station was the end. Or was mm. Marin? So Marin's the one just over Gordon's Hill. Yeah. yeah. And we saw that he even went over Gordon's Hill. So regardless, wherever Percy crashed... Gordon could have, you know, just abandoned the train at its proper terminus. And filled up with cold water and turned around and gone back. Yeah. Mm. So he realistically, he, you know, may have been noble, but he really didn't go much out of his way. He's taken his half an hour uh, rest time out of his work shift to uh, go find Percy. A guy out, which he can go, hey, you owe me one later. But, But he doesn't, though. Nah, yeah. true. It, at, oh, actually, in later episodes, Percy does pull the express for Gordon. He but, does, yes. Was... That's a very funny episode. <laughs> but um, again, of course, as I seem to be the trivia guy for this, this is based on actually four real events. Um, I won't list all of them one by one, but the first occurred in 1892, then 1910, then 1915, and finally 1939. So not only did it happen once, but it happened four times on four separate occasions. Yes, in four separate locations. One on Christmas Eve. <laughs> wow. So. <laughs> Happy Christmas. <laughs> the, 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 listen, the signalman was having eggnog. But, um, the signalman was busy. <laughs> uh, of course. It is another real thing that has mm. happened with engines running away. We even have uh, season two or three episode, The Runaway. Um, yes. Which is, again, a train takes off without the driver and fireman. Mm-hmm. Um, except this time it's... Well, hold, hold on, it happens twice in season two, actually, because James yes, runs away as well. Old Iron. Oh, yes, yes good episode. Mm. Um there's honestly a whole bunch of health and safety on Sodal that needs to be looked into. And, but... and a lot of recurring problems. You'd think, you know, after it happened once, they'd say, OK, here's the protocols we need to put in place to ensure this doesn't happen again. They have oh. been audited yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I mean, the inspector's there that, mm. like, the inspector can't, you know, be mad because he refused to give the train his leather bootlace. So yeah, true, yes. Very true. He, he listened. He must have be getting some bootlaces on the side, you know. Yeah, you get some mm. bootlaces. You keep our horrible standards of work here quiet. <laughs> um, as a rank, I'm going to give this a nice seven point five. It's okay. it's Percy. You love him. It's his first proper episode yeah. that's centered around him. Mm. Um, you've got the runaway. You've got the nice mound of dirt, which. Yes. I actually think they just use a pile of, like, chocolate powder. It, it looks like it, actually. It, it's, like, so soft. And, and But, yeah, when you see Percy being pulled out of the bank of dirt as well, you know, it sort of has those principles of cocoa in that it sticks together and sticks to his buffers. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a nice 7.5 for me. It's got Percy, it's got a little bit of action, and it sort of bridges, again, that gap in the real world. Well, I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10 once again. Um, I think the way they resolve the conflict with Trouble in the Shed, it's just it just it's just dumped upon you, really. Yeah. It's over in a matter of seconds. I don't like that. And, of course, the various plot holes we've mentioned as yeah. well. 
But Wait, like, seven out of ten. I thought we were doing seven out of a hundred. Hang on, <laughs> I've got a few rankings. No, <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, I enjoy the episode. I love the runaway theme. I love seeing Percy whistle through all the stations with his terrified face. You know, it, it's a good episode. H- who was whistling him? Absolutely. Oh. And Denim? Well, something I kept under wraps uh, throughout the whole way we've been talking about this, this is actually the first ever episode that I saw of Thomas. Ooh. Is it now? Yeah, yeah. I uh, saw it on VHS when I was only knee-high um, at my... Oh, I was at a family friend's house. We were over for dinner, and they chucked on a VHS of Thomas and Tangent, and it happened to be up to this episode on where they left the VHS. Huh. So um, there's a lot of nostalgic value uh, for this episode, but that aside, um, I also agree there's a lot uh, going on in this episode. We have the runaway. We have Gordon uh, being quite terrifying uh, as he uh, <laughs> comes up to the camera. Um, but, it's so uh, fast as well. I know, yeah. Yeah. There's entire, a lot of urgency. Yeah, that yeah. entire scene we just played for you, It, you know, that entire time... You see Percy arrive, you have the problem, you have the action, you have it end, and then you have another problem start. Mm. All within that brief 30 seconds we showed you guys. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot going on there. Um, But at the same time, I feel like... Well, it isn't in the book, but if I feel like... I feel like this needed another part to kind of resolve uh, the strike counterpart. I think that was very, again poorly handled mm. um, but it's one of those things that it is what it is but at the same time I still had a good time so I'm going to give this a 7 as well okay that, that's a nice round of 7s for this mm, it is indeed yeah. I think we're on, on an eagle plane yes as we get ready for our next episode where we will cover Cole the Flying Kipper and Whistles and Sneezes for the Henry Trilogy yes you beat me to it, Connor. I was going to call it the Henry Trilogy. <laughs> I reckon this is a great trilogy because uh, we see different sides of Henry that we haven't seen yet, and I'm uh, really excited to see what happens. Mm, I think we all are. But meanwhile, this has been the Right on Track podcast. I'm still Connor. I'm still Parry. I'm still Denim. <laughs> That's extraordinary. Yeah, and we hope to see you next time. See you later.